The gospel lesson for this morning comes to us from the gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 42. So listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must become a servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be willing to be slave of all and servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for the ransom of many. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Easter Sunday is over. The brass have gone home. The gorgeous flowers were distributed to members by our deacons this past week. The communion trays are safely back in the sacristy until next month. And in case you haven't noticed, the crowds have subsided. (laughs) But you're here. Some of you are online. Many of you are here. And Jesus Christ is still risen. He is risen indeed. So on this second Sunday of Easter, when all of the fanfare is over, the question becomes, what does the work of Easter look like now? And where in the world do we begin? Because as much as Easter is an event, a moment in which we acknowledge and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter is also a season a time in which we embrace and live into the ongoing promise of the resurrection that God is indeed here to make all things new. And in the season of Easter, we worship a God who promises to create a new heavens and a new earth. So we look for signs of resurrection, for new life springing forth in the buds, in the trees, in new faces among us, in hope where there was previously despair. And we remember that we are invited, called even, to be participants in that resurrection story. In the work not just of recreation, but of re-creation. We're called to become great by becoming servants of all, stewards of the earth, perhaps. It's a beautiful vision, a compelling vision, a stunningly hopeful vision. Scripture points us to the promise of God who not only raises Jesus from the dead, but promises to bring forth a new heavens and a new earth. Resurrection is about the transformation of all creation from generation to generation. And according to Isaiah, we are a part of that story, called to build and plant, called to be the hands and feet of Christ to help usher in that new world. But I also have to be honest with you that at times that task feels insurmountable. 
a new heavens and a new earth. Anytime someone begins describing the work of creation care or of addressing climate change, I look out at the world and then start to go down that rabbit hole of reading statistics about exactly how long we have before the effects of human activity are totally irreversible, and I think a new heavens and a new earth feels impossible. Should we even try? And if so, where do we begin? But that overwhelming feeling is surely how the Israel, Israelites and exiles felt when Isaiah offered this morning's prophetic word. This prophetic imagination about the world and what the world could be was presented to the Israelites as a word of hope in the midst of totally hopeless circumstances. They received this word at a time that they were exiled from Jerusalem, surrounded by systems of oppression and exploitation and destruction. And much of the the circumstance was due to the brokenness of the world around them. But Isaiah is also clear that God's people are complicit in their strife. The first half of Isaiah, in fact, outlines the failures and faithlessness that led to their exile. Isaiah wasn't afraid to speak a difficult word to God's people. And yet, the God of resurrection doesn't leave them in the place of despair. As Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann recounts, the book of Isaiah moves dramatically from destruction to restoration. This sweeping promise of God is a word of poetic imagination that contradicts all of their present circumstances. The word they were hearing from God was a word of newness, of hope, of recreation, recreation, and restoration despite their present struggle and circumstance. Isaiah's poetry of promise was designed to give them what we might call resurrection vision, the capacity to look out at the abyss and see hope. It pointed them back to the steadfast promises of our Creator and forward toward the new creation that God would usher in. So when it comes to having resurrection vision about a new heavens and a new earth, we return to that question, where do we begin? Do we have eyes to see the possibility of newness, in the midst of our present struggle? And are we willing to be participants in that resurrection work? We can all recall the scenes of destruction in New Orleans right after Hurricane Katrina happened. There was such loss and damage that it became, like Jerusalem for the exiles, a beloved city, but one that felt nearly impossible to rebuild. And that work of rebuilding isn't easy. A number of you know exactly how difficult that work is after several mission trips to the area. The whole city needed repair, and yet the work took place, is taking place, one plot, one house, one project at a time. But there's something that made the people of New Orleans believe that this rebuilding not only was possible, but was important, even if it was hard work. You know, the the legend goes that there was a New Orleans lawyer who took this work of restoration to heart. 
He sought an FHA rebuilding loan for a client, and he was told that the loan would be granted upon submission of satisfactory proof of ownership of the property because the plot was being put up as collateral for the work. And because of the community history in New Orleans that stretches back over two centuries, and houses that had often been passed down from generations to generation, sometimes it was a difficult to establish this paper trail of ownership. So it took the lawyer three months, but he was able to provide proof back to 1803. And he submitted it all to the FHA and then received a letter back from them with the following reply. Upon review of your letter adjoining your client's loan application, we note that the request is supported by an abstract of title. Things are going well. And while we compliment the able manner which you have prepared and presented the application, we must point out that you have only cleared the title back to 1803. Before final approval can be accorded, it will be necessary to clear the title back to its origin. Now, perhaps any other lawyer would have received this roadblock as a dead end and given up. After all, the, the destruction of the city was everywhere. I can't imagine he was short on work. Hope was at a premium, and so the extra lift that was going to be required would have been enough for most lawyers to hang up the towel. But this lawyer was determined to rebuild, to bring something new out of a scene of destruction. And so here is his response. He writes, your letter regarding the case title 189156 has been received. I note that you wish to have proof of a title extended further than the 206 years already covered in the present application. I was unaware that any educated person in this country, particularly those working with real property, would not know that Louisiana was purchased by the United States from France in 1803 the year of origin of the title. So for the edification of you uninformed FHA bureaucrats, the title to the land prior to US ownership was obtained from France, which had acquired it in a right of conquest from Spain. The land came into possession of Spain by the right of discovery in the year 1492 by sea captain Christopher Columbus, who had been granted privilege of seeking a new route to India by the Spanish monarch Queen Isabella. The good Queen Isabella, the lawyer writes, being a pious woman and almost as careful about titles as the FHA, took precaution in securing the blessing of the Pope before she sold her jewels to finance Columbus's expedition. And now the Pope, I'm sure you know, is the emissary of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and it is commonly accepted that God created this world. Therefore, it is safe to presume that God also created this part of the world called Louisiana. God, therefore, would be the owner of origin, and God's origins date back before the beginning of time, the world as we know it, and the creation of the FHA. So I hope that you find God's original claim to be satisfactory. Now can we please have our reconstruction loan? And the loan was immediately approved. Whether the story is legend or fact is perhaps immaterial because it gets us to the question, as an Easter people, where are we to begin? 
perhaps, perhaps it's in the remembering, like the lawyer so adeptly did for the loan officer. We begin by remembering that God created in the very beginning out of chaos, out of a formless void. We begin by remembering that God created out of destruction after the flood. We begin by remembering that God looked at Jerusalem amidst exile and ushered the people from destruction to restoration. We begin by remembering that God has brought life out of death, hope out of despair, and that God continues to be a part of making all things new. If the Easter question is where do we begin, perhaps it's in the remembering. But we remember because it anchors our hope and it gives us the ability to compel us forward. We begin with memory because it inspires us to participate in God's new creation. It calls us to do something, anything, however small it may seem. Isaiah's vision is first and foremost the promise of God to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. It's first about what God will do. But embedded in Isaiah's vision is a call for participation. The people are invited to build houses and live in them, to plant vineyards and eat its fruit. The people are called once again to be faithful stewards. It's through lots and lots of small actions that the people of God are able to participate in this broader, more powerful, more hopeful vision of a new heavens and a new earth that can come to be. We're invited to be participants in the resurrection story, in ushering in a new heaven and a new earth. It's not a singular event. It is a season, an event that goes on and on in the life of the church. And it comes through lots of individual actions. The Morningside uh, Care Team has been taking some of these small steps and inviting us into this work throughout the past year. They're living out their name, cultivating awareness and renewing energy by caring. So over the past year, whether you have noticed it or not, we've taken a variety of small but significant actions as a church, as a resurrection people who are trying to be stewards of God's creation. We have changed every one of the light bulbs in this ceiling to an LED bulb, which draws dramatically less energy and puts forth more light. We've added, with the help of a grant from Gipple, new opportunities to recycle that you will hear more about in a little bit. We're exploring the possibility of removing non-native plants and putting in a pollinator garden out front to support the ecosystem on our very own church grounds. We've completed an energy audit to explore ways to make our building more energy efficient and received grant funds to help, help us on some of those projects in the next year. Our own preschool has created an outdoor garden and classroom where the youngest members of this community are learning from the very beginning to be stewards of the earth. And here's the thing, all of those things, all of those little steps can feel like a drop in the bucket in the broad sweeping changes that our world needs in order to become like Isaiah's new, new creation and new vision. 
but each of those little steps matters. God offers us through the words of the prophet Isaiah a sweeping vision of what resurrection and creation could look like. A new heavens and a new earth where the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the lion and the ox shall eat straw together and they shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. To be an Easter people is to remember the God who is creating and recreating the world. But to truly be an Easter people is also to be participants in that restorative work. To live as a people who are great because we have chosen to become servants and stewards of all. To be creatures who can delight in God's creation because we have cared for God's creation. Resurrection comes through these many small actions in which we become the risen body of Christ, the hands and feet of our risen Lord who are tending God's garden once again. And though each of those actions is small, Isaiah's prophetic vision can come to be. So when we look out at the world and hear the promise of Isaiah that God will create a new heavens and a new earth, and we think, that's impossible. Where do we even begin? We begin by remembering. And then we begin by a few small actions and the conviction that we are a broader part of God's resurrection story. You know, a young girl was uh, walking along a beach with some th- where some thousands of starfish had been washed up during a terrible storm. And when she came to each one of these starfish, she would pick it up and throw it back in the ocean. And the people who were gathered on the beach watched her with amusement. And after she had been doing this for some time, a man approached her and said, Little girl, why? Why are you doing this? Look at this beach. You can't possibly save all of these starfish. You can't begin to make a difference. And you saw the demeanor on the girl's face sort of deflate. She seemed crushed. And then after a few minutes, she bent down and picked up another starfish and chucked it back into the ocean as far as she could throw. And she looked up at the man and she said, well, it mattered to that one. And the old man looked at the girl inquisitively and thought about what she'd said. And then he bent down and picked up one, too, and joined her in throwing them back in the ocean. And slowly but surely, the crowd of folks who were just there delighting in God's creation stood up and began to throw the starfish back in until all of the starfish had been saved. If we're going to be part of God's resurrection story, God's recreation of a new heavens and a new earth, where do we begin? Begin with one light bulb, with one item recycled, one starfish at a time. May it be so. Amen.